faithful warriors to the Everyday Life Bible Study Podcast. I call you faithful warriors. Um, I hope that doesn't sound too cheesy, but that is what we are. That's why I call you that, because every day, getting up, getting ready, going to work. Of course, these days, we're in the coronavirus quarantine um, part. I don't know if that's when you're listening to this, but at the time of recording, Everybody's in the COVID-19 quarantine. These days, you might not be getting up and going somewhere to work. Many are, yet you are still interacting with people on Zoom calls, your families, your neighbors. I've seen so many people out and around, so much more in the neighborhood, just walking, uh, sitting on their porches and talking, and I think it's wonderful. Of course, social distance seems to be happening at the same time, um, but um, we, we, when we do all of those things, living for God, putting our faith on display, living according to His nature, His character, His values, it is a fight. And so I want to say a a word of appreciation to you faithful warriors for keeping up the good fight. I am Paul Church, your host, as we take a look at the life of Jesus and primarily with the interactions that he has had with people, Um, whether it's his disciples, whether it's religious leaders, or just people that he happens to come across through his journeys. Uh, today, we're going to be talking about a conversation Jesus had with his disciples. Before we get into that, I would just want to say if this podcast has been a blessing to you, if it's something that you enjoy, that you've maybe even learned a few things from, then hop over to Apple Podcasts. It used to be iTunes. Now, I guess it's Apple Podcasts. And um, hop over there and leave us a review, a five-star review that really helps with the ratings and getting this message out there even more. So if you just take a few moments of your life to do that, I would greatly appreciate it. We have four kids at home. Well, three, one's in college, but she's actually back home now because, of course, the dorms are, have been, the college's campuses have been emptied. And so we have four in the house. Uh, Three are drivers. One is not. She's just 11 years old, so she's not near enough old enough to drive. And so we're actually kind of grateful for that uh, because going through this whole process, I'm glad we have a break for a little while because going through the whole process of teaching how to drive and learner's permits and all of those things, it's it can be arduous. Uh, Our kids did a good enough job driving, learning how to drive. Uh, And the common question that you get when your kids are learning how to drive or particularly newly licensed, and this is if they don't have a car of their own yet, is, can I have the keys to the car? Um, And that's always a question that's just got to me. My first response was always, uh, no. (laughs) But at the same time, I want them to learn and I want them to to have that opportunity to drive. So I figured with um, learning permits. If we're going to go somewhere, you're going to drive and I'm going to be right next to you because, uh, I, I want to have that opportunity to teach you as much as I possibly can. And I would have to say that I was an excellent, I, I was an excellent driving instructor for my kids. Always very calm, always very cool and collected. At least that's my recollection of the whole thing. But possessing keys, can I have the car keys? Possessing keys gives power and responsibility. 
power to literally be in the driver's seat, responsibility of those lives who are riding with me. I remember uh, when we first gave Maddie, our oldest, a house key, first key to get a ha- first kid to get a house key. So we actually had a speech re- prepared, and we were talking about, look, this is great responsibility. Don't give it out. Don't make copies. Most of all, don't lose it. Have you ever lost your house keys? That or your car keys, for that matter. It's the worst thing ever. I lost my keys before. My whole key ring. Uh, with every key that I need on the key ring, I replaced them all. Uh, this was when Morgan was much smaller, and uh, we asked her if she knew where my keys were because at this time in her life, she really liked, she was about two, she really liked to take things and hide them. And we had this feeling that she knew something about the whereabouts of my keys. She kept insisting, I don't know, I don't know. Three months later, Three months after I lost my keys, I had completely moved on, forgot all about them, replaced them all. Car keys, of course, are not all that cheap to replace. Morgan comes to me three months later. Oh, Daddy, do you want your keys back? And she handed them to me. She also did the same thing with my iPad once. Now, thankfully, you know, she's grown out of that, but... uh, um, but that was it was a difficult experience to go through when you lose your keys. Uh, you lose your capacity to to do things, to access things. I had to rely on other people a lot. Um, but still, I don't like a lot of keys when I um, uh, whenever I have a play, like when I was a lead pastor, the church keys, I had all the locks in the building rekeyed so that there was one master key that would get me anywhere I needed to go in the building at all. And then we had various levels of keys to get you into certain parts of the building. All of my locks at home are on one key. Uh, I don't know if it's smart to tell you that or not, but anyways, but I, I, um, I, I don't even like to put both car keys on the same ring because car keys are too big. So I have two rings of keys with a car key and a house key on there. And then I have my church key uh, that's on a separate connector, easy connector, so that I just put that on whichever car key ring that I'm driving. Um, I hope that made sense because I just don't like to carry a lot of keys. Um, nonetheless, keys are important to us. They open doors for us. When someone gives you a key, they're putting their trust in you. So we don't give keys out to just anyone. Today's podcast is titled, and I I don't normally do titles, and I don't normally do titles like this, but today's podcast title is Keys of the Kingdom, Keys to the Kingdom. Uh, sounds like something you'd hear a prosperity preacher say, um, but if it fits, but but I think it does fit today because there's a metaphorical set of keys that Jesus refers to as the keys of the kingdom. Uh, now, I don't have a bullet point list of all the keys for you today. No formula that says, do this, do that, and your life's going to transform. But there is a place that God will lead you to where he'll entrust you with the keys of the kingdom. My kids don't get the car keys until I know they won't kill me, right? Uh, I won't give someone the key to my home unless I trust them to use it appropriately and responsibly. And there's a place God wants to lead you to when he knows that he can trust you with the keys of the kingdom. So let's pick up with the story of Jesus. We'll start with a brief review of what Jesus has been up to so far. He's spent a lot of time around the Sea of Galilee. 
teaching people, healing people, feeding people, crisscrossing the sea with his disciples. The whole time, the disciples have witnessed him do amazing things, signs, wonders, miracles. He has even invited them to participate with him in serving people with the feeding of the 5,000 there. And then subsequently, right before this, feeding 4,000. Actually, it was a whole lot more than 5,000 and 4,000. That was just counting the men, not including the women and children that were also uh, definitely present. Several times we read how the disciples responded. First in the boat, and if you recall this from previous podcasts, uh, or if you or you've missed them, go back. Um, but in the boat when they were caught in the storm, the unexpected storm, Jesus was asleep in the stern of the boat, and the disciples were freaking out. Short story, even shorter, Jesus calmed the storm, crisis over, and they exclaimed, Who is this man? Even the wind and waves obey him. And they responded with bewilderment, wonder, and amazement. Later, when the disciples were straining at the oars across the windy sea, Jesus came strolling up alongside them, walking on the water, and again, they freaked out. And when they realized it was him, they went from, who is this man, to, you know, I'm kind of thinking he could be somebody. But when Jesus brought some hard teachings and everyone around him deserted him, the twelve stayed. They went from, who is this man, to, he could be somebody, to, uh, now I'm sure he's somebody. They were close, but they weren't there yet. Last week we left off, well, not last week, I'm, I'm sorry. Uh, previously, uh, we had talked about Jesus crossing the Sea of Galilee with his disciples. And so let's pick up after that, Matthew chapter 16, uh, starting in verse 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God, which is very key because, yes, they were all looking for a Messiah, but they honestly weren't looking for a Messiah that was the literal son of God. To them, um, their messianic future was about a deliverer, much like a judge of the Old Testament that would come and throw off Roman oppression and restore the kingdom of Israel. But Peter answered, truly, um, and and, uh, in reality, you are the Messiah and you are the son of the living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock, because remember, Peter means rock, literally, and on this rock I'll build my church, and the gates of Hades, the gates of hell, will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth, will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And then he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone, no one else, that he was the Messiah. And from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. So, I hope you're seeing the progression of faith that the disciples uh, went through here, from who is this to I think he's somebody, 
to I know he's somebody, now to he is the son of the living God, the Messiah, my Lord and Savior. Now, this is significant. Matthew and and Mark actually both tell of this episode, and Matthew says, uh, from that time on, he began to tell them about his upcoming trials, death, resurrection. Uh, in Mark chapter 8, it's, it's talked about very briefly here. And it says, then, after Peter's declaration, it says, then Jesus began to tell them all of this stuff. God had the culmination of his greatest plans coming together in Jesus. His suffering, his death, and his resurrection. The greatest story to ever unfold on the earth. And honestly, he didn't even hint about it until now. Why? It was, it was from this point on where he started to talk openly about his death, upcoming death and burial and resurrection. He was waiting, I believe, for this moment with his closest followers. Peter, as the spokesperson of the 12, said, you're the Messiah, the son of, living, the son of the living God. What a bold declaration because Jesus never really came out and said this. Not to his disciples. He did it to the woman at the well and, 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 and things, but, but uh, he never really came out to his disciples and said this to them. I mean, he made veiled references as, at best, and there were definite signs. But when the demons were cast out, it says that uh, when Jesus would cast out a demon, they would say, we know who you are, and, and Jesus would command them to shut up. He said, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, not even by me. You didn't learn this from anyone. You're not just enamored by the wonderful things that you've seen, but you've came to this conclusion on your own. You know, um, growing up in a, in a Christian home and learning about Jesus, we know this, right? It doesn't make you a follower of Jesus. Uh, listening to this podcast, going to church every week, and, and listening to your pastor preach the word, um, and believing it is a good thing. But unless you internalize it and believe it for yourself, it does you no good, right? You know, the, the scariest part of being a Christian parent is the fear that your kids will not serve God. You know, that they'll grow up and, and when it comes and, and uh, when they get on with their lives, they'll, they'll leave faith in Jesus aside. That's, that's, a, that's a horrible thought. Because we believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of the living God. You know, we teach this to our children and do our best to model it for them, but that, unfortunately, does not save them. They have to come to believe in who Jesus is on their own, just like we did you did as a, as a parent or whoever you are. Peter was blessed because he came to this heartfelt belief on his own. Jesus didn't shove it down his throat. The other disciples didn't pressure him into saying this. Up to this point, they actually struggled with belief. And it took a lot of faith to say this, but by now, he was convinced. Back to Matthew 16 and verse 21 there. From then on, from that time on. Jesus began to explain about all of these things, that he must go to Jerusalem, suffer at the hands of the elders, and that the third day be raised to life. But from that time on, from, from what time on? From when Jesus knew they were convinced. Can you see that's where he'd been leading them the whole time? 
And what does this say about God's plan and his sovereignty? Because honestly, Jesus came for a reason and for a purpose. This is why he came uh, to give his life as a ransom for many is what he declares about himself. But the timeline was very much dependent upon the 12. And we'll see this later as well. Okay, there's there's another episode coming up when people brought somebody brought Jesus to him and and something else just kind of just kind of unlocks here in the next level. And so uh, uh, this was the point. The, Jesus was going to do this, but I hope you see that he didn't make any next moves. We didn't enter a new realm or level until the disciples were there and on board. Once they came to this point, everything moved forward. God's plan was unlocked and unleashed. The 12 disciples are very central to the gospel story. You know, the gospel is all about Jesus, but Jesus is all about people. He didn't get, uh, his ministry didn't get off the ground much until he called them. And the redemption plan was not revealed until they were ready. Much of God's plan hinged on the 12 and they didn't even realize it. You know, Jesus is all about you. You are central to his plan, not just his plan for you, but his plan of redemption for those around you and for the world. He wants you, he wants to get you to the same point of confession that Peter came to. And he said, I'll build my church on people like Peter. The church, all of us together, we are his agency to spread his message. Now, when I, I mentioned the title, Keys of the Kingdom, many people probably felt like that I was going to preach about victory in your personal life because, uh, you know, honestly, that's what we're focused on. You know, the kingdom of God is about people discovering who Jesus is, just like Peter did. And he said, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That means that all hell is going to break loose in your life, but it won't win. We think kings, keys of the kingdom, and we think prosperity. We think easy, victorious living, free from temptation, plenty of provision, and that's the Christian life, right? And that's that's where we need to get to, where 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 living is easy, and and the kids all get straight A's, and the car always starts, and the dog always poops outside, and and we're not tempted by porn, and we have plenty of of everything that we need because we're doing what we're supposed to do by tithing, and he's going to meet my needs, and we think that's the Christian life, and Jesus says, "I'll give you the." keys of the kingdom, but what he means is you'll have direct access to the Father through me. And those keys don't come until we come to that point of fully embracing and in believing this is who he is, and it's not about me at all. It's not about all of that stuff that I think makes up the Christian life. He says hell's going to come at you. He didn't share with this with them until they came to that point of fully believing in him, who he really is. From who is, they, they were at that point of originally, who is this guy to all the way to now, you're the Messiah, the son of the living God. And when you come to believe like that, hell can't defeat you. Now, some people might say, well, if that's true, I don't think I want to get too deep into this Jesus thing if hell's going to come at me. But the truth is, it's going to come at you no matter what. And we're afraid of the things that's going to come against us. But it's only when we dive deeper and we have the keys of the kingdom, we, 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 we realize that we're already in the fight. When we believe in him and we just dive in as deep as we possibly can, and God, I am all in with you, he'll equip us to defeat the enemy. 
We say amen to Peter's declaration, right? You're the Messiah, the son of the living God. And we say amen to that. And we would have said the same thing, right? But when Peter made his declaration, he set himself apart. He, he put himself out there. He put himself in somewhat of an unpopular position even. I mean, people liked Jesus, but we've seen that when it came down to it, they really didn't believe in him like this. What are you going to do? Who do you say that he is before others? In 1986, Cindy Lauper, <laughs> she sang a song, uh, I see your true colors shining through. Don't be afraid to let them show. You know, And that song is going to be in your head the rest of the day, especially since it was just a couple of years repopularized by the, the first Trolls movie. Let your true colors shine through. Well, all except those true colors um, keep those Jesus colors to yourself. I enjoy what he does for me, but to be out there with it, I'm not so sure about that. And the sad thing is that's the experience of most believers in the United States today. We're like the crowd that enjoyed being fed by him, but within when he started into some harder teaching, they said, you know, this is too much. Earlier, I said that uh, I entrust personal keys to those I trust to handle them appropriately and responsibly. Now, appropriate and responsible handling of God's keys does not include thinking it's all about me. It's about unlocking hearts of those around you to God. It's about pushing back against the gates of hell. It's about making a bold declaration that Jesus is the Lord of your life. Look, you're on the winning side. Hell comes at you and it cannot defeat you. You're on the winning side. You find yourself in the middle of the storm. Well, you know what? There's no fear because Jesus is the one who calms the sea and he's in the boat with me. You find yourself in an impossible financial crisis. No worries because Jesus is the one who multiplies the bread and I trust him. Who do you say that he is? Our reactions to those kinds of scenarios and financial hardships and, and when we feel like we're in danger, when hell's coming at us, our reaction to those situations says a lot about who we say he is. Now, this um, declaration by Peter was made in the region, it says, of Caesarea Philippi. Um, it was a very religious place, but not really in a good way. Uh, it was a hotbed. Caesarea Philippi was a hotbed of emperor worship. It was the home of Pan, uh, the grotto of Pan. Uh, he was a Greek god. Um, and it was believed that Pan and other gods entered here at this particular place in that was known as the gates of hell. You can go on Google and, and look this up. Look up gates of hell, Caesarea Philippi, Pan, Grotto of Pan, P-A-N, Pan. Um, and just look all this up and you'll see pictures of, of this. And this actually could be, maybe possibly since Jesus made reference to the gates of hell, it could be the very place where they were standing or sitting whenever Jesus said this about the gates of hell. But it was believed that Pan and other gods entered here. Uh, at this place known as the gates of hell, and they descended into hell in the fall and would reemerge in the spring at the autumnal and vernal equinoxes. Um, so it could be that this declaration of Jesus, uh, of Peter and Jesus' response happened somewhere right around here. Now, pan worship brought out some of the deepest darkness mankind could muster. 
And that's the environment where Peter made this bold statement about Jesus. It wasn't said just because it was the right answer, right? It came from his heart. He was convinced in the face of adversity, looking at the gates of hell, Peter was convinced. Sometimes we're convinced until adversity comes. Jesus put his disciples into some difficult circumstances. In the boat, uh, in the middle of the sea in a storm, uh, they know about the fear of not making it. In charge of feeding thousands of people with hardly anything uh, to feed them with, they know about financial shortfall. Many times we think it's God's punishment on our lives because of something we did, but what we see as punishment, God is using as preparation. It's not punishment, it's preparation. Give him room to work and see how he's going to come through for you and to convince us of his presence in our lives, to convince us of who he is. Preparation for the keys of the kingdom. He says, I'll give you the kings. He says, I'll give you the keys of the kingdom. Now that you've come to this, you're past that freak out mode when when life situations come at you. And now sitting here staring down the gates of hell, you make a bold declaration and say, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And we get to that point in our lives. He says, I'll give you the keys of the kingdom. Peter made a bold stand and declaration that day. And from then on, God's plan was revealed. Jesus already knew how this whole thing was going was gonna to shake out, but he didn't reveal it until he knew his disciples were ready. Many of us, most of us, well, maybe, uh, maybe all of us, you know, we go through hardships. It's all definitely all of us, right? And the hardships in life that we go through, I believe are intended. It doesn't mean that God is giving them to making sure that we go through hardships. He's like, look, I'm going to put some hardship in your path. He said, in the world, you're going to have trouble. That's just the kind of world we live in, you know, but, and when we do experience trouble, God can redeem that, use it for his purposes. And I believe they're intended to prepare us for God's unfolding plan in our lives to give us the keys of the kingdom. It'll bring you overcoming victory, it, but, but it's not going to just be handed to you, you know? Oh, you got your learner's permit. Here, let me, here's the keys to my Ferrari. I don't have a Ferrari, but if anybody wants to give me one, I'll, I'll take it. Um, or, you know, here, I just met you. Um, I don't know you, and you seem like a shady character, but, you know, you have a nice face. Here's my house key. We're not going to do that, right? The, and the keys of the kingdom aren't just going to be handed to us. This is more about your growth as a follower in Jesus. What are the keys of the kingdom? It's just about our growth as a follower of Jesus. It's knowing who he is. It's it's unlocking um, peace in our lives when we face adversity, when we face hardships, when we face trouble of all kinds, where we can just take a deep breath and relax because we know who he is. And because of who he is, he's got this. And we can live life in victory. As we come to know and believe in him fully, it will literally unlock victory in our lives. You'll trust him more, and he will entrust you with more. And you'll find the gates of hell coming at you, well, they just won't be, as, be quite as large as they once seemed. So, My prayer for you today is, as always, 
that the word of God would become alive in your everyday life, that this word today really spoke to you as my prayer and that it would just become alive to you in your everyday life. Thanks for listening. God bless you. Have a wonderful week.